So we're finishing this morning the, the last of our series uh, entitled The King is Coming. It was our Christmas and New Year uh, series. You, you'll actually know that we're, we're still in Christmas. In fact, this is actually Christmas. Uh, I, I, I know you all think it's past, but uh, the, uh, the, the, the 12 days of Christmas run from now to Epiphany on the 6th of January. And uh, so actually we should just be singing Christmas carols now and everything, that would be the traditional way. But you're all glad we're not, I know. Uh, so, so I don't know how your Christmas was, but, but um, I, I found this year, it, it was, it was a, a sort of experience that was just different. And uh, we, we always have this tendency, don't we, to make comparisons between things. And, uh, and we often make comparisons vis-a-vis the past to the present. And, and uh, particularly as you get older, uh, you know, because just like music is rubbish nowadays. I mean, I mean it's like I, uh, I, I, I subscribed to Apple Music again just a couple of weeks ago. And, and it was like I had to go back to the 90s to listen to any decent uh, compilation of tracks. And you're sitting there going, Hasn't, has there been any good music in the last 30 years? And, uh, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, people are nodding in agreement. I, I would, <laughs> but, you know, you, you kind of go back and uh, you, you, you find yourself uh, going into town centres and walking around. And uh, I was in Edinburgh a few weeks ago and I was going, what's happened to our cities? And, and then you remember we've just had a post-pandemic reality that we're now in. And of course, when you've got a post-pandemic reality, you sit there and think, what were things like before COVID and what are things like after? And, 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 and you kind of set your heart on trying to recapture what is past. And it's natural for us to do that. So Christmas time came along and uh, traditionally our... Uh, my Christmas used to consist of all the family coming and spending the entire day with us, and we would hang out for the whole day with our family. But now, because partners and all this sort of thing intervene, grandchildren, and, uh, and, and suddenly Christmas is looking really different. People dropping in, dropping out, uh, here for half an hour away, off there. I've already eaten, but they still managed to eat vast amounts. And... Um, and, and it's like, and, and you kind of think, do I like this or don't I like this? Is it better or worse? Can maybe go back to the past? I used to like writing letters to Santa. But, uh, thankfully, that's why God gives us grandkids. Uh, but but you, you have a hankering for the past. And, and, and really, as we come and we think about the new year, we, we have a choice. And, and it's the choice that we always face in life, which is we can either allow the past to shape us and our hankering and desire to recover a past, which, by the way, you will never recover. Or we look to the future. And, 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 uh, and, and, and you're always faced with this. And I, I, again, I, I get into trouble with all the therapists in the church and things. And I love therapy, okay? I need some. So, uh, and, uh, but, but, uh, so, so I, don't misunderstand what I'm saying in relation to therapy. But, but sometimes there, there is a form of therapy which is all about the past. 
and uh, and 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 uh, it it's it's sort of saying you're a prisoner of your past and your past shakes you, which is self-evident and and fairly true. Uh, but I loved the the psychologist and psychiatrist, R. D. Lang, who Scottish psychiatrist, and he used to say, helping someone know how they got into a prison cell doesn't help them get out. And I always thought that's an interesting thing. And, and his philosophy was, we've got to focus on how we help people move forward. We have to help people focus on the future. And if you actually look at the Bible, the way the Bible talks about who we are and our sense of identity, it doesn't focus on the past as much as the future. Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus rather, Paul says, let the future reality, let the anticipation of the future shape who you are now presently. And, and, and as we start into 2023, we can either be prisoners of our past or we can look to the future and invite God to do a new thing. I was very tempted to change the reading for this morning from Isaiah 40 to uh, uh, Isaiah 43, Behold, I do a new thing. And, uh, and the anticipation of the new thing that God will do. But in order for that to happen, sometimes we have to let go of the past. And, and, and that can be a terrifying thing. It can feel very insecure. It can feel like you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm recognizing that's gone. Sometimes in, in relationship breakups for people, that's a really hard thing to do. Maybe, maybe Christmas was a very difficult thing for you this year because you'd just gone through a breakup maybe in your family of some sort. And, and it was letting go of that past and recognizing that the past is now gone. And, and looking to the future and wondering, what's this going to be like? And, and feeling like it will never be as good as it was. Do I even have a future? And, and that sense, that overwhelming sense of that pain that comes from a sense of loss. But God invites us to say, let's not focus on the past. Let's look to the future and let go of the past. Now, that doesn't mean we don't respect the past. It doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain of the loss of the past. It, it doesn't mean that we don't honor the past. But it does mean that we don't let the past shape our future. And, and God, in Isaiah 40, is inviting the people of Israel to recognize this fact. And uh, you'll know from previous studies of Isaiah that Isaiah basically breaks into two parts. Some people think it's a bit like the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the first part it runs from chapter 1 through 39. Very simplistically, it basically is about the judgment of God. Some people think that's what the Old Testament is like. It's bad theology, but some people think that. And then, and then verse four, chapter 40 starts, and 40 runs uh, right through. And uh, we have 27 books, which are about the new hope that God is bringing to his people. We, we actually call 40 through, uh, through to the end of Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah. And uh, we mean it's the other Isaiah. Yeah, this, this, the, the judgment part was probably written in the 8th century, and now we find ourselves in the 6th or 5th century BCE, and, and uh, Isaiah or somebody is editing together this and seeing the work of God. 
And, uh, and what they're seeing is they're looking at the past. And, and this had been a horrific past. Jerusalem had been destroyed. And uh, you, you, you cannot understand the significance of what that meant to the people of Judah because everything was about the temple. Everything was about Jerusalem. That was the center of what it was all about. And, and, and the temple had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been torn down. And there had been this devastation and this experience of devastation. Uh, the, the, everything that identified you as who you were had been ripped from the people. I, I remember writing an essay uh, when I was at university for the Old Testament, basically saying that uh, Judah and the Israel had no right existing beyond the destruction of Jerusalem because everything was taken from them. And it was as if their God had abandoned them and if they were now desolate. And the people had been scattered. Some of them were in Egypt. Most of them were in what is modern-day Iran and Iraq. And, and, um, and their experience was tough. In, in some of the translations, it talks about hard labor. The hard labor of exile and oppression. And, and, and this was the situation that they were finding themselves in. One that was desperate. Interestingly enough, when the New Testament picks up on this theme, that Judah was under the occupation of the Romans. And, and the people of God had gone through a similar experience of oppression. And were in a similar place of difficulty. And, and the sense was that God had abandoned them. And in Isaiah 40, we have these wonderful little words, comfort, comfort, my people. My people. I love that. And uh, it, it's to say, God has not abandoned you. And suddenly this new word comes, God has not abandoned you. And because God has not abandoned you, it means you have a future. <laughs> this God is not moved on. This God is going to work with you in terms of that future. And, and there was a sense of anticipation, the sense of a new thing that God was going to do. And as you read, and, and people love reading Isaiah 40 through 66. If you haven't done it, do it over the next couple of days. It's well worth it. It'll set you up for the new year. There's this anticipation of the king is going to come. God is going to do a new thing. God is going to recreate something. And we are going to be part of that. Interestingly enough, it wasn't everybody that was going to be part of that. It was going to be a remnant that was going to return. And you'll see that in Isaiah. Who were going to be part of the new thing that God was going to do. This new thing that God was going to do was going to be centered on a, a, a figure, a king, we would call him a king, but it uses the word Messiah, the promised Messiah. There was going to be a Messiah. Now, here's the test for you. Who's the first Messiah in uh, the Bible? Yeah, rough night last night, I know. <laughs> Any guesses? First Messiah? Cyrus, yeah, good. Hey, yep, we read on a couple of chapters, we discovered this guy called Cyrus, who happened to be a Persian emperor. And uh, he, he, he had been a guy who had been part of the, the people and the empire that had oppressed 
the people of God, and, and yet he's described as God's anointed. And uh, that God raised up Cyrus as God's anointed. He raised him up as the Messiah. And, uh, and this, this is a really kind of interesting analogy. And, and hopefully it should cause us to sit there and go, what's going on? And, and um, we, we get this, uh, the, the same promise in terms of Jesus, because Jesus is called the Messiah. And you're thinking, what on earth does Jesus and Cyrus have in common? The word Messiah meant anointed, so they were both anointed. But to be anointed, you were anointed to do something. And so the question is, what were Cyrus and Jesus anointed to do? And the answer is, well, they were anointed to be king. They were anointed to rule. Some people actually think that Psalm 2 that, that we read in our Bibles was written about a Persian emperor rather than a, 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 a Judean king. But anyway, that's another story. And, and the, the promise is that there is going to be an anointed one and he's going to come and he's going to rule. But how is that rule going to work out? And in order to understand this, what we have to have understand is the way that the people saw the oppression that they were in. The way that people understood the predicament that they now find themselves in. Because they understood it in terms of the judgment of God. And in fact, if you read on in Isaiah 40, you'll see it talks about the judgment of God. It says the judgment of God is now over because the promised Messiah is now coming. And, uh, and the, the, the predicament that they saw themselves in was that they had failed to worship God in the way that they should worship God. And so God was going to raise up a Messiah, a king, who was going to restore the true worship of God. And the true worship of God was going to be the basis of the reign of that king. In other words, if you want to have good economy, if you want to have good social relations, if you want to have healthy, effective society and community, get your worship of God right, and these things follow from that. And the Messiah comes to restore the true worship of God so that his reign can be extended ultimately throughout the whole earth. And as you read Isaiah, that's what you're seeing. When Jesus came and, the, and Luke begins to talk about the coming of John the Baptist as preparing the way for the Messiah, what he's saying is Jesus is coming. And, and this explains what you see in the Gospels because you kind of read the Gospels and you think, Jesus doesn't really act very much like a king. And uh, where, where's this king thing come from? And it comes from everything that Jesus is doing because when he stands up and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is about and he teaches the people, he's teaching the people about the true worship of God. And only once the true worship of God is established amongst the people will the reign of the king extend to the whole earth. And that's what they were looking for the king to do. And, and as we start 2023... There are a lot of things that we could talk about. But our greatest need is our relationship with God. Because our relationship with God is the foundation for everything. And that, that is individually. It's corporately as a body here as a church. And it's for our society and community. Our worship of God and our relationship with God 
is fundamental. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about things at the moment, but I kind of started to think as I was preparing this sermon about 2023, and I was thinking, well, where's the hope? And, and uh, it feels very dark. I've got to be honest, maybe, maybe you think I'm being pessimistic. Uh, but it feels dark. It feels very like the darkest hour. You know, you look at what's happening socially in our society. Do, do you know, in fact, even, even mortality last year, our health, do you know that more people died last year, excess deaths, than at the height of the pandemic? Death reigned supreme in 2022, apart from a pandemic. Death reigned supreme last year in our world. Socially, uh, I, I, I fear for our young people. And I, I talk to teachers, and, and I hear what it's like in schools. I hear like the pressures that people are under. I hear about anxieties and depressions in a way that I have not heard about in my lifetime. I, I was talking to somebody who's a guidance teacher in one of the schools, and uh, we were talking about pupils not continuing with their education due to anxiety issues. And they were saying to me, before the pandemic, it used to be one or two. He said, it is now a percentage of the school. It is so many. You know, we are talking a percentage of the school population now. It's tens, if not even into the hundreds. And, and you're sitting going, what impact? What's happening? Did you know last year we had our highest divorce rate in a very, very long time? And, uh, and that's saying something, given that marriage is and increasingly uh, delayed, it, it still happens, but it's delayed in our society. You know, social fabric is not in a good place, economically. I won't talk too much about it, because you hear it every day. But we're not in a great place. We know this. Politically, what's happening politically? I, 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 and again, I speak personally, but I, I find myself alienated from the political classes in a way that I have never been alienated from the political classes. Because I wonder who they're representing. You know, because I just don't feel they're representing me. And certainly I don't feel that they're representing the, the majority of our people. And in fact, I don't even feel they're representing the interests of the nation. You know, we, we, you probably didn't miss it, but during the, uh, the the, the lead up to the festive period. Our, our government passed gender legislation that the UN Equalities Commission, and by the way, the UN Equalities Commission are not known for their conservative views, okay? It's, it's probably one of the most liberal organizations on the planet, right? From a Christian perspective, I would suggest. And yet they said that what was happening in Scotland was alarming. Alarming. And you go, what kind of government? And, and I'm not talking about the rights and wrongs. I'm just talking about what kind of government in the face of that just says we're ideologically so committed to a view or an image of society. Do you know, I fear, 
I fear for our children. I fear for what it means to be a woman. I fear for what it means to be a man. I fear for what we are doing to our social structures and our relationships. I fear for the patterns that we are laying down for our people. And you may tell me you're an old wife, Alistair. Your fears are unfounded, and hey, maybe they will be. But I still stand at the start of 2023 with a fear and facing this. And the thing is, when I turn and look at the church, I fear for the community of God's people in our nation. You know, the Church of Scotland is about to implement vast, vast reforms. And um, for the first time in maybe a thousand years, Scotland is not going to have really what I would call a national Christian presence. There's going to be deserts created where there isn't going to be effective Christian churches. And the Church of Scotland, no matter what you think of it, used to provide that for our nation. And before that, the, the Catholic Church. It's not going to be there. And, and, and the communities of God's people have been devastated over the last two years. I've seen if you wanted to shut down the churches, just do the sort of things that you see happening. You just create legislation that makes it impossible for volunteer organizations to really operate effectively because you're so tied up in bureaucracy. You create government legislation that stops communities meeting together, to sharing together. You, you, you force them to engage in different kinds of meeting up virtually and turn communities virtual. Create a, a pattern where the cost of living means that financially churches are hard-strapped to feed their buildings, to pay for anything. You create that in an environment that I'm describing and it's difficult. And I know I might be, you all might be saying, this is really depressing. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm telling you, I think we face the darkest hour. Now, the darkest hour often becomes the point where the dawn occurs. And, and, and in this situation with Isaiah and with John the Baptist, it was at the darkest hour, at the point where things looked most desperate, that God said, speak to Jerusalem's heart. Speak to Jerusalem's heart. Hear the word of God. I love the beginning of Luke chapter 3. Uh, and uh, you did a brilliant job, Cora, with all those names. Uh, they, they sound like medical conditions, many of them. But, uh, but, but, uh, and, and, and you have this list. I think there are six rulers mentioned in that list. And, and if you imagine kind of Ben-Hur music going... Do, 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 do. And, and we have Tiberius Caesar, and we have Herod Agrippa, uh, 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 sorry, Antipas, and Philip. We have all these great big figures, you know, the established people, the rulers, the people that are going to shape history. These are the people. And we have this list. And then it says the word of God comes to John the Baptist. Who's John the Baptist? <laughs> You know, who is this guy? He's hanging out in a desert. He's weird. <laughs> He's odd. He's marginalized. He's fringe. Yet the word of the God comes to him. And it is John the Baptist who is going to be the one that is going to prepare the way for God. Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people. This word comfort, it doesn't mean just say there, 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 don't be upset about things. 
comfort, comfort, the Hebrew means actually consoling through transition. It means helping people get free from their past to move into a new future. That's what that word comfort means. And what it says is the word of the Lord comes and it says, I'm going to help you move from the place that you are into a new future that is a transition. And the word of the Lord is going to come and it is going to do that. And God's people are called to be that medium. You know, as I sit and I described our social and political and economic situation, I am acutely aware that many people within our church community are on the front lines. You know, they're teachers, they're healthcare professionals, they're in law enforcement, they're in business people. They're they're in these realms. You know, we are part of this community now and we are all facing these same issues. And God turns to us, and and some of you are grandparents and some of you are are mothers and some of you are are doing other things. And these are equally important So, in terms of these roles, in terms of where our society is now going. And God says, I want you to be the vehicle for this transition. I want you. Do you know, you know, it is a brilliant gift to be a mum. And uh, last night uh, I was at a New Year celebration and um, we were sort of having chats about mums and things like that. And, and, and mums can be an interesting phenomenon in your life, can't they? They can be a force for good or they can be a force for ill. Is that right? I not got that wrong, okay? And uh, I don't want to upset any mums here. But an incredible ability to shape the life of children, to, to have influence in terms of that. An incredible ability to do that. And, and here, God invites all of us to say, you're going to be vehicles of those transitions. One of the things as we enter 2023, and that goes for grandparents as well, by the way, uh, 2023, is that we as a church need to learn to support our people on the front lines. Do you know, if you've watched the war in Ukraine, you'll know that probably one of the great strategic problems that Russia has had is its supply lines. It hasn't supported its frontier troops effectively, and it's been disastrous for it in several places. You know, the church, we've often done the same. We've not supported and enabled and helped people in being a good mom, a good dad, being a good teacher, being a good healthcare professional, being in law enforcement, being a good business person. What does that mean? We've not really helped people do that. And I hope and pray in 2023, and again, I don't have instantaneous answers to this, that we will get better at supporting people on the front lines. Because I actually believe that the transition to that dark descriptor that I have is in our hands. And it says the church empowers its people to bring the message of comfort, comfort, that we will see transformation. Because we are going to have to deal with these things. I would love not to be, you know, the generation that's going to have to deal with these things. But we are going to have to deal with these things. And uh, let's go on to the next slide. And uh, you, you'll see as the verses go on, it kind of describes 
uh, what this is going to consist of. It says, we have to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, th this is good news and bad news. It's good news in the sense of, do you know what? We don't have to resolve all the issues. Okay? That's the good news. So you don't have to fix the economy. You don't have to fix the social stuff I've been describing. You don't have to fix the church. You don't have to fix any of this stuff, the economy. You don't have to fix that. Okay? But you have to prepare the way so that God can enter in and he can fix it. Prepare the way of the Lord for the coming king. And, and uh, what's this look like? Well, it says it's build a level road. Fill in valleys, remove mountains. I don't know if you've ever tried filling in a valley recently. Or, or removing a mountain. You ever thought of what that was like? Yeah, there was a, a movie uh, with Hugh Grant a wee while ago, and uh, it was about him trying to make a mountain higher so it would qualify, uh, was it over 3,000 feet, or to be Wales's highest mountain. And, and putting moving gravel and everything to make this mountain higher. You know how hard that is? It's tough. But that's what we're called to. In 2023, we are called to prepare the way of the Lord because the King is coming. And we're called to be the people who prepare the way and build a level road for God to come. And we're called to do that if you're a teacher, if you're a healthcare professional, if you're a business person, if you're working in law enforcement, if you're a parent, if you're a mother or a father or a grandparent, if you're a friend. You are called to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way for God to come in and begin to see this transformation. Because the promise, and, and it's interesting, Luke's gospel is the only gospel that gives us the full quotation and gives us right down to verse 5. It promises that God will be revealed. You know, as we start this year, we need to remind ourselves that the King is coming that we are called to prepare the way for this king. And that no matter how dark and tough it is, God will be revealed if we prepare the way for the coming of our king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge of these words. And we pray now that as we move into communion, that we will just understand that you are a God who is coming, that you are a God who is coming to transform the world in which we live. And although, Lord, we may be full of fear in relation to that future, we, we may not see many grounds for hope humanly. Lord, I pray that we would have a vision of our God, the same vision that Isaiah had, the same vision that John the Baptist had, that we would see that we are preparing for the King, and then in 2023, we will be a people who are making a road, a highway for the presence of our God to be revealed. We ask this in your name. Amen.